Good morning. I can't imagine anyone but Orlando leading that song. I'm glad you're on my team, brother. That's a good song. Welcome to the first Sunday of 2024. I really didn't expect a response from that. You know, last week we talked about it was the last Sunday of 2023. And the truth is, for me at least, this Sunday feels a lot like last Sunday. However, there is something about a new year that makes us want to look ahead, makes us want to plan, dream a little bit, maybe make some resolutions. It was Oprah Winfrey who said, cheers to a new year. It's one more chance for us to get it right. And I think we all want to get it right, don't we? We want to do better. We want to be better in the coming year than we were last year, collectively as well as individually. You know, as a, as a Christian, as a church, we want to do better. We want to be better. And one thing that takes is intentionality. It takes a resolution. It, takes, it was J.P. Morgan who said, the first steps towards getting somewhere is deciding you don't want to stay where you are. And that's true. As, as a follower of Jesus, I don't want to stay where I am. As a church, I don't want us to, to stay where we are. You know, everybody makes resolutions this time of year, and I suspect you've made some as well. But I hope that you're overriding resolution, I hope that our overriding resolution is we want to be more like Jesus this year. We want to get closer to Jesus. We want to introduce more people to Jesus this year than we did last year. You know, this, this focus of ours, 242, Acts 242 focus, is so important. And we don't just want to get to know each other better. We don't just want to get to know, you know the world better. We want to get to know Jesus better. If you're a guest of ours, we want you to get to know us. We want to get to know you. But what we really want is for you to join us getting to know Jesus. Because once you know Jesus, he'll introduce you to the rest of the family. And as you see on the screen, I want to talk this morning a little bit about the church. Um, specifically, the church through the lens of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right up front, I don't know if this is going to be a series. I don't know if it's just a sermon. Maybe it's just a statement. But I want to talk about the church through the lens of Jesus. Talking about the church, not just how we relate to each other. Again, not just how we relate to the world. But how the church relates to Jesus. Because I think too often we look at Jesus through the lens of the church rather than looking at the church through the lens of Jesus. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're always asking ourselves the question, what does the church need to do to be more relevant? You know, what do we need to do? But I don't think that we need to reshape the church in an effort to be relevant. I think we need to go back and maybe refresh our understanding and appreciation of Jesus. 
going through Jesus to understand what to do in the church. And I don't know if you're tracking with me on that just yet. Uh, I'm hoping that I'm going to bring it a little bit more into focus. And it's a subtle thing, but I think it's a really important thing as we start a new year. If you got your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 2. Second chapter of Mark opens with a very famous miracle that Jesus performs. A guy is lowered through a hole in a roof into a crowded room, and Jesus forgives the man's sins, and then he heals the man. Uh, if you're in Dave's class on Wednesday nights, if you're watching that online, and I suggest you do, Dave just uh, a week or two ago talked about this same miracle from the book of Luke. I want to take a look at Mark's account of this very famous miracle. Mark chapter 2. Several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and the news of his arrival spread quickly through the town. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there wasn't room for one more person, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. You remember, if you don't remember, I'll remind you, but just a chapter earlier, Jesus was in Capernaum. He was teaching in the synagogue, and a demon-possessed man showed up, and Jesus healed that man, and that caused a big stir. And then shortly after that, he went to the home of Peter's mother-in-law, and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And the text says that everyone in the town, the whole town, who was sick or lame or, or diseased or demon-possessed came, and, and we're told that Jesus healed them all. And the next morning, Jesus slips away by himself to pray. And the disciples come and find him and say, hey, there's pandemonium going on back here. Everybody's looking for you. And Jesus says, you know, we need to go some other places because I need to preach and teach. And that's what he does. And that's, look at the last verse. That's what he's doing here when he comes back to Capernaum. He's teaching, and we're going to find out he's healing. He's teaching, and he's healing. That's what he's been doing. You know, his, his, his ministry is just starting. He's been teaching. He's been healing. He's been drawing big crowds. Verse 3. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't get to Jesus through the crowd, so they dug through the clay roof above his head. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there, there were some religious people sitting there, there were some teachers of the law who made it into the house. They had a seat. They said to themselves, what? This is blasphemy. Who but God can forgive sins? Jesus knew what they were discussing among themselves. So he said to them, why do you think this is blasphemy? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. I will prove that I, the Son of Man, have the authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, take your mat, and go on home, because you're healed. The man jumped up, took the mat, and pushed his way through the stunned onlookers. Then they all praised God. We've never seen anything like this before, they explained. Exclaimed. 
We've never seen anything like this before. I want to land on that statement this morning. In fact, say that out loud with me real quick. We've never seen anything like this before. I want to focus on that statement that's made. You know, it's a statement that people still make, right? You hear that phrase all the time. Never seen anything like this before. You hear it in sports. You probably hear it this week in sports. Uh, you hear it in science, pop culture, politics. Sometimes it's said when something kind of silly and frivolous happens. Sometimes it's said when something really important happens and something very significant happens. You've never seen anything like this before. I want to break that statement down just a little bit with you. Who's the weave? Who are the weave? Who's referred to in the weave there? <laughs> well, when, when Scripture says weave, the, the, who's saying that? That's the neighborhood, right? That's the people. That's the neighborhood. That's the people who are there. Never seen. Something has made an impact. Not only has it made an impact, it, it's a tangible thing that they have experienced. We've never seen anything like this before. Compared to what we're used to, this is different. Compared to what we're used to, this is set apart. So the question is, what made the impact? What, what is it that's set apart? What is it that's different? What aren't they used to? What just happened that they're not used to? Or, I'll ask it a different way, I'll kind of turn it around a little bit. What were they used to? What was the neighborhood used to, specifically, when the religious leaders got upset? What was the neighborhood used to when the religious leaders got upset with something that they heard? When the religious leaders started grumbling in that neighborhood, in that culture, when the religious leaders, and they were respected, by the way. We, we kind of looked down on them, but they were respected. When they got upset, when they started grumbling, things shut down, and people shut up. And everybody knew that. The, the neighborhood, they, they'd seen this a thousand times. They knew if those men over there are upset, they're going to let it be known. And we know what they're going to say. Now, the text says that Jesus knew what they were saying among themselves. I think everybody in the room knew what they were saying among themselves. I think as, Jesus, as soon as Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, everybody thought, ooh, those guys are going to have a problem with that. And sure enough, they did have a problem with it because they knew the script. And I'm talking about the neighborhood. They, they knew the script. They knew what those religious people were going to say. They've seen these scenarios played out before. They knew exactly what their position was going to be. They'd seen it before. They knew what happened when religious leaders weighed in. And you're sitting there right now thinking, no, I think you're wrong, Tim. I think it was the miracle. I think that's what they've never seen before. But you do realize this wasn't the first miracle, right? You understand that, right? This isn't the first time that, that Jesus has performed a miracle. The first miracle of the water to wine in Canaan, that's not too far down the road. And then earlier in Capernaum, in this same place, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, and then he healed the whole town. They brought everybody. 
I don't know where this guy happened to be that day, but this was not the first miracle. Now, granted, maybe they've never seen anybody, you know, lower down through a ceiling and, and healed. I, I'll give you that. But I think there's something else going on here. I think there's something more going on here. It's not just what Jesus does. It's how he does it. In this miracle, Jesus forgives the man's sins, and then he heals him. You remember another healing that Jesus performed in John chapter 5. We're not going to look at it because it's a pretty long reading, but I think you remember it. Uh, there's a man who's been lame for 38 years, sitting by the pool of Bethesda. And when the water is troubled, you know, uh, it was believed that the first person that could get to the water was going to be healed. And this man couldn't get to the water. He was by himself, and he's always the last to get there. And remember, Jesus came to him, and he flipped that order around. He healed the man. And then later on, he catches up with him in the temple, and he told the man, now you stop sinning or something worse is going to happen. In John chapter 5, this man who complained, I never can get there, no one will help me, I uh, can't get to the water. This guy seemed to be so focused on his illness, so focused on his handicap, so focused on his problems, that he judged his whole life through the lens of his illness. And Jesus comes along and says, listen, your illness is not the center of your life. God is the center of your life. And now that you've been made well physically, you need to be sure you go back and recalibrate your life to God. With our guy in Mark chapter 2, the guy goes through the ceiling, Jesus kind of just starts there. He said, hey, fella, let's, you know, let's get you right with God. Uh, let's get you centered on God. Question. Could we be guilty of having the same focus as the man in John chapter 5. That man who saw everything about him through the lens of his illness, of his disease, of his handicap, of his problem. Everything was filtered through that lens. Because I'm afraid that all too often we are guilty, and when I say we, I mean me, we are guilty at sort of keeping the world at arm's length. Now, we don't say that, but we do that. We sort of keep the world at arm's length because they are so diseased. And how am I going to stay healthy if I put myself in such an unhealthy situation? In the process, we fail to recognize or maybe remember just how diseased we are. You know, when I think about the church, I think about my father. Most of you knew my dad. My dad loved the church. All his life, he loved the church. He never found a perfect one. But I came to learn that he was never looking for the perfect church because he found the perfect Jesus. And who needs the perfect church when you have the perfect Jesus, right? But in all of the frustrations, all of the hurts, all of the pain that, that he endured through the church and some that he inflicted through the church, 
he never lost track of the situation, the fact that Jesus loved the church. And I know, because my father told me so many times, when I serve, when I'm, when I'm helping, when I'm serving, I'm doing it for Jesus. Because I love Jesus. And that spilled out in the way he saw people outside the church. You know, if you just focus on the disease, all you're going to see is the disease. But if you focus on Jesus, you start to see things the way Jesus saw things. You start to see people the way Jesus saw people. You start to see opportunities that Jesus saw where no one else saw opportunities. And again, I might be way off base on this, but I think that's at least part of what's going on here in Mark chapter 2. I think that's part of what these people had never seen before, never seen anything like this before, treating people the way Jesus treated people because there is a direct correlation between a church clinging to, we've never done it that way, and a neighborhood waiting to say, we've never seen anything like this before. We get stuck on doing things one way. And the truth is, everybody knows our script. And sometimes we feel like we're irrelevant to the world. And it's not because Jesus is irre irrelevant to the world. What Jesus said, what Jesus did, is as relevant today as it was the day he said it. The day he did it. Uh, no one is more relevant than Jesus. The problem is, the world, our, our, our neighborhood, they know our script. At least they think they do. You know, when someone finds out you're a Christian, most people immediately think, I, I know where you stand, I know what you're going to say, I know what you're going to think. I don't need to have a conversation with you because I know your script. And for the most part, <laughs> they're probably right. Does anybody else feel that way? Am I the only one? Does anybody else feel like as soon as people find out that I'm a Christian, you know, a wall goes up? The conversation sort of shifts because they think they know what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do and how I'm going to feel. Let me try to explain it this way. All of the things that, that divide us nationally today, and you can come up with the list as easily as I can, politics, racial tension, the LGBTQ uh, issue, Immigration, um, religion, social justice, pick, pick any of them. When you get into a conversation with someone that you don't know very well about any of those subjects, and they're passionate about it, it won't be very long before you know where they stand, and you will feel, I know what you're going to say. And they'll know where you stand. And they're going to be thinking, I know what you're going to say. We disagree on this, maybe, but I know your script. I know my script. We don't have to have the conversation because we both know what the other one's going to say. But what if instead, what if instead you said, would you like to get a cup of coffee sometime? 
Because I would love to understand, you know, we're very different. You and I are very different, but I would love to understand sort of where you're coming from and your reality and, and, and your life. I would love to hear your story. Or what if you said, you know, I've always wondered what it would be like to wake up day after day after day and the only thing that you can think about is how can I get my family to a safer place? Even if it costs me my freedom. I would love to hear how you deal with that. What that's like. And someone says, we've never seen anything like that before. Okay? That, that's not on the script. Did not expect that. And all of a sudden, it's not an argument. And it's not a debate. It's not contentious. It's not even awkward. You know, you go to a coffee shop, CNN's on the you know, on television in the background, Fox News is on the television in the background. The script is running. You know, the script is always running. But what's happening at the table? That's what's happening at the table. Never seen anything like this before. <laughs> you're giving me these looks like I have no idea what you're talking about, Tim, but, but I hope you're kind of understanding what I'm trying to lean into here. I hope you begin to see the point that, that I'm trying to make. Listen, as Christians, we have to let people know we're Christians, right? We have to let people know we love Jesus. People need to know, if they know me, that Jesus is my Lord. But so often, as soon as they find out that I'm a, a Christian, let alone a preacher, they know what's coming next. They think they know the script. And they'll really do everything they can to avoid the conversation. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. Not with you, because I know what you'll say. But what if the conversation isn't about church? And what if the conversation isn't about Religion. What if the conversation's about Jesus? And the things that Jesus would talk about. That's why I'm so convinced that this Acts 2.42 focus that we've been talking about for years is, is so significant. Now, we, we talk a lot about the benefit of being in each other's lives. You and me, us, being in each other's lives. All of those benefits, all of those blessings are just as true for the people that are outside the church. They're just as true for the people that are next to your next door neighbor. People you go to the gym with. The lady that cuts your hair. How are we going to brag on Jesus? How are we going to let people know that, that Jesus is Lord, our Lord, my Lord, if we're constantly keeping them at arm's length? If we're focused on the church we might think, mm, see, that's going to be a problem. It's going to be an expense. That's going to take a, you know, a level of commitment I'm not sure I'm ready for. But if we're focused on Jesus, we're thinking, that's an opportunity. There's an opportunity here. They cut a hole through the ceiling, through the roof. Wow. That's great faith. But if you're focused on the church, you're thinking, somebody's going to have to fix the ceiling. 
and where's that money coming from? <laughs> and who's going to do it because all the roofers, you know, they're gone. But if you're focused on Jesus, you're thinking, wow, what an opportunity. What faith. I want to wrap this thing up by going back to a phrase that I, that I skipped over in verse 12. The NIV translates the second part of that verse saying, this amazed everyone. That word that's translated in the NIV, amazed, in the original Greek literally means a change of place. That something happened that moved me over one seat. Something moved me. Something changed me. Something happened that, that amazed me. And that's why people are saying, well, I've never seen anything like this before. It's not the idea of, hmm, that, that's, that's kind of cool. That, that's kind of different. It's the idea of, wow, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to forget this. I don't think that I'll be able to live my life the same way after I've experienced this. I'll never be the same again. See, here's the thing. A lot of you are just like me. I have been going to church for a long, long time. You've heard people say that they've been going to church since they were in their mother's womb. I've been going to church since I was in my great-grandmother's womb. I have a very long lineage of ancestors who have been going to church. And if you're like me, and some of you probably are, you know, we tend to think that we know the script as well. We are so comfortable in this setting. We are so comfortable in this structure that sometimes we sort of just flip on the autopilot. I do it all the time. Just a couple weeks ago, I had a conversation in the lobby with someone. I'm not going to tell you who it was, and I hope they don't remember. <laughs> but I had a conversation. I said, hey, so great to see you. Haven't seen you in a long time. Where you been? And they said, Tim, we had a conversation right here last week. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I remember. I'll email Dave sometimes and say, Dave, would you please leave this song sometime before my sermon? And once or twice, he's emailed me back and say, happy to, but you know, we just sang that last week. <laughs> I guess I missed that. This morning, Dave led a song that we know, but it was a different arrangement. And I wanted to sing it like we always sang it. I'm like, wait, that's not right. And then finally we got towards the, the middle there, and it's like, okay, now, okay, now we're in, the, okay, now, yeah. Now I know that. Okay, it feels, it feels right again. Listen, when we think we know the script, it's a dangerous Because not only does the world think that they don't have to have a conversation with us, we get to the point where we think we don't really have to have a conversation with each other. I know what you're going to say. You know what I'm going to say. It doesn't matter if we really talk or not. We're not in each other's lives. And the reason we think that we already know the script is because we are so focused on, and I saw this term and I liked it, we're so focused on churchianity instead of Christianity. 
And if you're focused on churchianity long enough, you become very well acquainted with the script. How many of you were ever in uh, theater, in drama, high school, college? Okay, several of you. Have you ever learned someone else's lines while you're learning yours? Yeah, sure, all the time, right? Because you hear them all the time. You, you say your line, they say theirs. You know, the whole time you're practicing. And you actually are learning everybody else's lines as well. If people think they know your script, if people think they know your lines, they don't need you. If people think that because they watch cable news network, they know how I, as a Christian, am going to respond, they don't know me. And if that's true, we're focused on the disease, not on Jesus. If they can learn, if they can listen to politics and get the script of the church, we have entangled the disease with the cure. But wouldn't it be something if our neighborhood got moved over a place? Wouldn't it be something if our neighborhood said, I've never seen anything like that before. I thought I knew what you were going to say. I thought I knew how you were going to act. But I've got to tell you, I've never seen anything quite like that before. Let me end with this. You probably noticed it the first time I put it up. Um, I didn't actually mean for it to show up there, this you know, acronym that I made up. But uh, the word SALT is in there. Anybody else notice that? Yeah, SALT's in there. Yeah. Everything that I've talked about this morning is certainly true for us collectively. But where this is really going to make a difference in our lives, in my life, in those lives, is when it gets personal. And maybe, maybe it's the salt of the earth. Maybe that's what causes people to say, I've never seen anything like this before. This morning as we begin a brand new year. Let's be sure that our resolve is to be more like Jesus. And all of those stories that we have known all of our lives and we know so well, and we'll be talking about a lot of them this year, all of those verses that we've had memorized for, for so, so long, and they're still beautiful, wonderful truths that we're going to talk about this year. As we think about all of those things, be sure that you are paying attention to Jesus. Be sure that you're processing all of that through the lens of Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus' agenda. To treating people the way Jesus treated people. To having conversations that Jesus would have. Salt of the earth. City on a hill. You can't hide that. People see that. And being more like Jesus is what gets people, atten gets people attention. That's what will cause people to say, we've never seen anything like this before. As a church family, if we can help you take a step in that direction this morning, whatever that might be, we'll invite you to come to the front. Let's go ahead and be standing, and we'll sing.